one of my favorite psalms in the book of Psalms. It's a sister psalm along with Psalm 32. And obviously it's a, a penitential psalm. It's when David is convicted after God sends to him Nathan the prophet and says, you are the man. And you know the sin I'm in ref- referencing. Um, and then David repents. Acts chapter 6. I just told Susanna for the recording. So it says here, the passage is, it says six, chapter 6, 7 through 15. I'm going to read 7 through 15, but the sermon really will be unpacking verse 7. And the title is not Stephen brought before the Sanhedrin. It's going to be the advance, um, <clears throat> the growth of Christ's church. And <clears throat> that's because as I work through the passage, there's so much here really to lay the foundation what we're looking at and I think this will take us a couple of weeks we're looking at the the work of one particular servant of the Lord Jesus Christ Stephen he was um, commissioned as a deacon in the last passage that we looked at and so we're going to consider some of his service and, and, and if there's a next week for us we'll look at him being brought before the Sanhedrin but there's so much concerning this fellow that I thought it was necessary to look at particularly how God is growing his church and then further we'll unpack things dealing with Stephen. Um, the word of God talks about this fellow in his ministry from chapter 6 in Acts clear through to chapter 7, which is kind of a lengthy, I don't know whether I would call it a sermon or a testimony, but that, that's another, that's an aside. So I've shortened the, um, the sermon passage, but I want to read 6 through 15. To give us, excuse me, seven through fifteen, to give us the context, and and I'll bring in some other things as well. But verse seven, here the holy word of our holy and perfect God, the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples increased, continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some of the men from what was called the synagogue of the freemen, including both Cyridians, Alexandrians, some from Cilicia, Asia, they rose up and argued with Stephen, but they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly, secretly introduced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. They came up to him and they dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. We heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. God's word. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this word. We thank you that you've given us new eyes and new ears and a new heart to, to hear it, to believe it, to receive it, to rest upon it, to love it. And by your grace, O oh God, to labor to obey it. Help us, gracious God, see the growth of your gospel kingdom, the growth of your church, Jesus. How you do it, why you do it, the kind of people that you use, the kind of people that constitute your church, such that we would be good Bereans and we test every spirit from the word of God. Receive glory and honor, we pray 
In your name, O God. Amen. Some of the ways that I come at a, a passage is, particularly when I look at the larger passage, I try to see some of the sub-themes, try to discover the main theme and then the sub-supporting themes. And, and within the passage that we just read, we have clearly the evangelical nature of the church. The Christian church is, biblical Christianity is evangelical. It's meant to be shared, um, to be spoken um, for the purpose of bringing people to Christ. We see that this evangelical church um, exists in kind of a crucible, that, uh, that the gospel of Jesus Christ goes out against the world, the flesh, and the devil. There's always opposition. There's always grist in the grist mill. It's necessary for us to have people that oppose so we see some opposers come to be friends, even brothers and sisters like these uh, priests, and then we'll see some of them in future sermons opposing Jesus Christ. We see the notion of discipleship, that there, while there's no cost to our salvation, Jesus paid it all. There is a cost to our discipleship. Um, with, with the people sharing this gospel, some of them will put their lives on the line, including Stephen, who dies as one of the first martyrs of the Christian church. So there is a there is a cost to following Jesus Christ, and it's not a small cost either. Jesus says um, the cost is to pick up your cross, deny yourself, die to yourself, and follow Him. So when Jesus says we're going to go witness, and the word in Greek for witness is martyreto, we're going to go die. God sometimes calls to His servants, "You're going to die for My namesake. You're going to die in My service." So we see these things here. We see the 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 growth of Christ's kingdom, Christ's church. We see the way that God's kingdom grows, and it's through the ministry of the word. And then related to that, it's as people minister or serve the word, whether they're official ministers or your mom or your dad, that's how the, the church grows. So, but, but today I want to be concerned with, um, with verse 7 under the general idea of the, the growth of Christ's church, the growth of Christ's church. And I'm going to look at verse 7 and bring in other passages, obviously. I want to go from a macro view, a big picture view, and then unpack some things in a micro view of verse um, 7. But that's the intention. And as we look at verse 7, clearly talks about the growth of Christ's kingdom, the growth of the church. So this is a growth, advance, progress of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we think of verse 7, again, in that macro view, in relationship to the book, what the book of, of Acts is all about. Obviously, the book of Acts is called the book of Acts. Sometimes it's called the Acts of the Apostles. There's one commentator, his name slips me right now. He says, most specifically, this book that we're looking at, which verse 7 indicates, is it is the Acts of God the Holy Spirit through the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ advancing the kingdom of Jesus. That's too long for a modern title. That's almost like what's Darwin's theory or whatever. There was a much larger title. So that man is using, he's really perfecting what's going on. It's the work of God. You remember in, in Acts chapter 1, I think verse 8. So the, the Holy Spirit is going to descend upon, and then cha- chapter 2, the Holy Spirit will descend upon God's people, Christ's people, his servants. He's going to empower them to take something to the four corners of the earth. And you remember what that, what that something is. And that something is to take the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in particular and the word of God in general to the four corners of the earth. 
That, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in the book of Acts. And so we are, I've mentioned this before, Christianity is a triumphalistic religion. It's a kind of a take charge religion, but it's not the triumphalism of Islam or the triumphalism of the earthly flesh. And, and, and I, I do know I have brothers and sisters with a different eschatological position than I do, which I, I am an our millennialist. But the way that Christ has victory is through the advance of the gospel, through the prospering of the word of God. But that doesn't look like necessarily Christianity's take, Christianity takes over the intelligentsia, the academy, or anything like that, or politics. I'm not arguing for that. But we are a church on the move. And so that's what this ver- verse testifies, that Jesus Christ, biblical Christianity, is a going-out Christi- form of religion. We're not a, you have your private religion, stay at the house, be quiet with you in Jesus. That's not the nature of biblical Christianity. The moment the Holy Spirit converts us to the Lord Jesus Christ, the next thing that we want to do is tell someone else about Jesus Christ. That's how this business works. So God, the Holy Spirit, has come down upon the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ to take that gospel out. And it's always helpful. I'm not going to give a full orb treatment of the gospel. This is what's going on when it says the word of God, included in the word of God spreading, obviously, is the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus. Now, it's one thing to say the word gospel. And many times people say words that we don't even know what they mean. Covenant is like one of those words. People just say covenant, 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 covenant. They don't know what they mean. And there's lots more debate. But what about the gospel? When we say this book here in verse 7 is the advance of the gospel, um, what is the gospel? If someone would say, give me a a 30-second, 60-second summary of the gospel. The Apostle Paul says the, the summary of the gospel is his words, Holy Spirit's words, the message of the cross. That's what it is. So it's the blood atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God. His blood pays what we owe, which is death, to God the Father, as it were. So he, it's, it's what we read in Psalm 51. When he says, blot out my transgressions, he just committed one, either coerced sex or, or adultery and, and or rape, and then murder. Well, how, how does a rapist or a murderer or adulterer go to heaven? He finds mercy in the blood of the Lamb of God. That's the gospel. The good news is Jesus pays by his blood what we owe for our sins. And that, that message is being empowered to these men and women to take out to the four corners of the world. And so what the book of Acts generally records if I were to ask you what's the Great Commission and where is the Great Commission, would you be able to tell me in the Bible where you find the Great Commission? Where is it? Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. So it's not Baptists alone who do sword drills. Presbyterians should do sword drills. So should Episcopalians and Pentecostals. We should all know the Bible. We should be Bereans. Our faith should be based on this book. And so what God is enabling his servants to do is to fulfill the Great Commission. And that's by the filling and the guiding of the Holy Spirit from which we're taught something. Again, just generally as we see the advance of the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit being necessary to that business. You can build a church building. You can cut church grass. You can even go on a mission trip. You can do lots of things under the, under the name of Christianity without the Holy Spirit. You can do things without the Holy Spirit. There'll be no spiritual growth. The church will not grow. You might grow a building. 
You might grow numerically in some way, but you're not going to advance the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God only advances, the kingdom of Christ only advances as God causes the growth. So this really is a spiritual enterprise. That's what's going on here. So verse 7 actually is a summary of the entire book of Acts, that the kingdom of Jesus is advancing. That's what's going on. And obviously it's through the ministry of these human beings, these human beings that believe in Jesus. A couple of things as we consider the church growing, and um, some from the Jews and some from the Jewish Sanhedrin, meaning the priestly class, in this case, um, coming to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Up to this point, I think in the past couple of sermons, we have seen the successful growth of the church, the success among professing Christians with the gospel, and then we've seen failure. And what are some successes we've seen with the growth of the gospel? And these, to me, are stunning. In a a couple of sermons ago, we saw, I think in chapter 2 and then chapter 4, that as the gospel was preached, this very simple message of the cross, you think, well, the foolishness of the cross, what can it do? What can just telling people the wages of sin is death, but the free offer of God is eternal life, and that look to Jesus as your sin bearer, what can that really do? Can that do anything in the world? What are we told in Acts chapter 2? One day there was a preacher that preached that simple message. And you know how many people were converted to Jesus? They were saved. The Bible says they were saved. They were joined to Jesus and they were added to the visible church. How many? In one day, 3,000 people. I'm reading a book by Ian Murray on revival and revivalism. I'm not sure my views on this. It's exceedingly interesting to me. And they're talking about looking in the Great Awakening. Look at this. 100 people were saved and 200 people are saved. And I'm thinking, well, that's amazing. I would love to see that myself. 3,000. Have you ever been anywhere where 3,000 sinners have cried out, Thou, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, save me. That's what happens. That's the success of the gospel. Now, we sometimes don't believe that. We think, well, you have to use special human means. You have to have blow-up kingdoms, hot coffee, good coffee, not bad coffee. You need lots of stuff to add, and that will do it. But God, the Holy Spirit, doesn't use those methods. What, what is he, what's the text say for the advance of the church? He uses the ministry of the word. Boring, boring. Ministry of the word, law, gospel, boring. What does God do? He saves people by it. So great success. Again, when you look at the sermon of the apostle Peter, are you thinking, wow, that's stunning. I would never even think of these words. No, it's plain vanilla, plain vanilla. What's the difference? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes that holy gospel effectual. He takes out the stony heart. He gives eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to love. He causes the growth. And then on the heels of that other success, Acts chapter 4, 5,000. 5,000. Hear the law and the gospel. And they say, I'm a sinner. Jesus, save me. 5,000 saved. Great success. So here right away, God says, The gates of hell won't prevail against my church. And we're going out. We're taking this gospel. You're taking the gospel. And we're going out. Now, these guys are probably thinking the kingdom of God. Jesus is going to come back in a nanosecond. When you look at this, like Jonathan Edwards and these guys, they're all flaming post mill. There's a reason they're flaming post mill. Because guys are being converted like Heinz has pickles. The whole towns are being converted. I would think it was post mill. If I live there, you're thinking, look it. Where did Jonathan Edwards um, preach? Northampton. 
I met my wife in Amherst, Massachusetts, which is next door to to Northampton. Northampton is the lesbian transgender capital of the planet. So if you were to look at 1700s, Jonathan Edwards would go, look at everybody's being converted. Go there now. He wouldn't think it, but you can see, understand why. So when these people are thinking, Jesus is coming back like at 2 o'clock, everyone's being converted. There's a reason for it. But then on the heels of that great success of the church, imagine if you're there, you're thinking, we are taking over. There's not going to be one other religion on the planet by 2 o'clock. What, what do we see right away on the heels of great, the great success of the gospel, the advance of the gospel? Do you remember? There was a guy named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. That's a great failure in the church. And I would argue that they're goats among the sheep. And what do they do? They say, you know what? <laughs> we really are super holy. And to be super holy, we're going to lie. And we're going to have pride. And we're going to have hypocrisy. And what does God do? You lie to the Holy Spirit, the wages of that sin is death. Great, great, great success. Great advance. Great growth. And then a great sin. And it coexists with a great success. But great sin. What's the first thing a non-Christian says to you when you're born again? The moment you're born again and you tell someone about Jesus, what's the first thing they're going to tell you to your face? Christians are what? Hypocrites. Y'all are a bunch of hypocrites. Hypocrites. The next thing you're going to be told is if you love Christ and you want to live holy is that you're a legalist. (laughs) We can't win. Don't ask the devil what he thinks of Jesus and Christ's people, but that's what they're going to say. But right away, what do we see? Hypocrites. Liars in the church. Hypocrites in the church. And then we see another failure. On the failure of that, we see Jewish believers favoring Jewish believers believing widows over Grecian believing widows. What's that called in the church? That's racism in the church. So we got some liars in the church. We got some pride, proud folk in the church. And we got some hypocrites in the church, goats among the, la- the sheep. And then we have some folks who are saying, you know what's higher than Jesus in the church? What's higher than the, the gospel? What really is the thing that should unite us? Race. Or culture. That's racism. That's what? Obnoxious. But I think this is just sheep who are acting like goats. It's the opposite of love. We're supposed to love people. I don't love you because you look different than me. That's called hate. We're supposed to love one another. So here we have great success, great advance of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, both quantitatively, numbers, and qualitatively, conforming to Jesus. And then we have gross failures. Now, here's my point with the growth of the church. You would think, wow, it looks like we were doing great. Now we're not doing great. That's how the church grows. We don't grow like this. It's not like come to Jesus. Everybody's instantly almost conformed into Jesus's image. In Zoom, we go right to heaven. That's not how it works. Up, down, all around, up, down. Success, failure, success, failure, success, failure, success, failure. And when we see the failure, God to grow the church numerically and qualitatively in Christ likeness he's going to bring the holy spirit will bring something good out of something bad remember Ananias and Sapphira the goats among the sheep the liars the hypocrites what good will he bring to Christ's church out of that he brings the wages of sin 
He kills them. He brings death for lying to the Holy Spirit. Is that good? What good thing came about? Because the Bible says it. And people grew to what? The Lord. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. One of the reasons professing Christians live like people that live in Sodom and Gomorrah, we don't fear God. Professing Christians think God is like their grandfather that just winks at all of their sins and says, everything's okay, Jack. You're you're just sowing your wild oats. Everything's okay. Watch a guy get killed for lying to the Holy Spirit. What would you think? Well, I guess without holiness, no one's going to see the Lord. Maybe I should forget my sin. Judgment does begin with the household of God first. False faith in Jesus is not saving. And people grew in the fear of the Lord. They grew in their fear of Jesus. The Bible says, I will be sanctified by all those who draw nigh to me. And you know what God did after that? He grew the church. Go read that account. He grew the church. People think, well, God wouldn't grow the church that way. It's got to be the secret way that we like. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says through that fear of the Lord, from people getting honest with this holy God and doing real business with this holy Jesus, he grew the church. Numerically and qualitatively, he grew the church. It's not the way that we do it now. I always talk about the blow-up kingdom. The blow-up kingdom, when I use these things, this is real stuff. I've been here 21 years. I went to do a pastoral visit many years ago of a person out in Pace. And I was, you know, we have our five people or six people in a house cat. And on the way out there, I drove by a church that was jam-packed. And they literally had a blow-up kingdom, an ice cream machine. Kids are jumping. I'm like, how can I compete with this? They have a blow-up kingdom. I just have the gospel. (laughs) But what are we growing? Are we growing the YMCA? Is this just like the Elks Club? Then have your ice cream blow up kingdom. Because you get way more people with ice cream than, than, than the gospel. But what are you growing? God's about growing people to come to Christ and build them up in Jesus. This is spiritual business. So the way that we think of growth, we're looking macro view, the church is growing. The way that human beings think growth is like the flesh. Numbers and money. That's, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, that's what it's about. And then what ministers do is we tell each other, it's not about numbers and money. And then they ask you about the numbers and the money. But that's not what God's about. God's about saving people, taking them out of their sins, bringing them to Jesus, cleaning them up in Jesus, and taking them to heaven. That's what God's about. And he uses his means. And one of the first things that he does is he instills the fear of God in people that they see this is a holy God. And what about the racism business? God's going to bring something good out of that. So God, the Holy Spirit, inspires the apostles to institute the office of deacon. And I mentioned it last last time. God has these deacons with Grecian names so that the people see, hey, there's a racism problem in the church. And they rectify it. And they're shrewd and they're wise. And so there's a reformation from the the, the racism, culturalism, whatever that ism is. And then what does God do after that? He causes the growth. Success, failure, and success out of the failure. You see that? Sometimes we think, well, we're looking for easier times, and I will grow better in easier times. No, you won't. 
We don't grow better in easier times. I love mountaintops. I want to live on a mountaintop. It was my mother's anniversary of her birth yesterday. I called my sisters and so on. And we grew up for many years on Cape Cod, so it, it has a, like a fond place in my memory. And all of us want to go back to when we were 15, in, in, but with our 60-year-old brains, and live on Cape Cod with my folks alive on Cape Cod. It just is a beautiful time. But we, 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 we can't go back to that time, with this, this, this happy uh, place. But when we are looking at, well, if we were in this happy place, then we would be happier and we would grow more like Christ. Beloved, we don't grow more like Christ in the happy place. Jesus doesn't grow us qualitatively more like Christ on the mountain. When do we most grow more like Jesus? When? In the crucible. With the great, the great opposition to the Jerusalem church, Acts 8, 9, God is going to exponentially blow the church up. It's going to grow and grow and grow. We see success, failure, and all failure is not bad. And so what I want us to learn just principally as, as God grows even in the failure or through the failure is this. Don't conclude when you see a church that's failing in sin in some way. Let's say you go, oh, look, there's a liar in the church. There's a person that pretended he was something that he wasn't in the church. Or there was a person with a cultural racist view in the church. Look at that. I found a blemish. Don't conclude that the church is not growing by that. Because God works imperceptibly. That failure, he's going to deal with. And he'll correct in his own way, his own time. And like that, look at your own life. Don't conclude when you look at your own life, well, if I go through my life, I failed here, I failed there, I failed there. I guess I'm not growing in Christ. Don't conclude that, beloved. Don't conclude that. The worst thing in the Christian life is not, fi- is not failing to live perfectly for Jesus as you try to live for Jesus. That's not the worst thing. That's not the worst thing. You know the kind of people that never strike out when they play baseball? They never strike out. They're never told, you're a strikeout artist. You know who those people are? They never get up to the plate. The biggest danger in Christianity it, it, it is not that you're going to use the gospel talent and you're going to fail in your use of the gospel talent. That's not the worst danger. The worst danger is you take that gospel talent and you bury it in the ground. So there are gobs of Christians who say, you know what? I'm never opposed for sharing the gospel of Jesus. You know why that is? You never share the gospel of Jesus. We <laughs> say, you know what? I never have to fight against the flesh. I don't, I don't know what that fighting against the flesh and the devil is all about. Yeah, because you're not fighting. So the danger is not you're growing by fits and starts and stumbles and bumbles, which is what's going on here. The danger is there's no movement. There's no movement. And there's no movement because there's no life. I would argue... Christianity from this passage, the gospel is going forth, the word of God is going forth. You all know that I was in AA. And there's a statement that says, let go, let God. It comes from some guy, I forget his name, Niebuhr or something. And there's a larger statement to it. It's, It's attached to health. Christianity is not passive. It's not passive. It's active. One of the greatest dangers to the Christian life 
is there are a bunch of ineffectual pew potatoes. You're just a pew potato. What do you do? I don't do anything. I don't do anything good. I don't do anything bad. I never share the law. I never share the gospel. I'm just a pew potato. And the Bible calls the pew potato the ineffectual hearer only. And so when we see the, the kingdom advancing, it's, it's through those active terms. Are you a wrestling Christian? Are you a fighting Christian? Are you a running? Yeah, but I stumble and fail all the time. Oh, that's way better. Way better. I want to see you striking out. I want Because you're going to hit one. Well, you know what? I got my head kicked in when I was sharing the gospel the other day. Good. Good. Or as I'm trying to testify, someone said, you know what? I saw you say, do something bad. I, I feel bad, but good on you. Good on you. The people of God are obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going out. This is the evangelical nature of the church. And the way that the church grows, we're told, again, in that micro, look at your passage. How does the church grow? As the word of God is spreading, so the church of Jesus is spreading. I'm going to argue this, beloved, and I don't know whether it's just constitutional. I don't think so. I would argue, I, I can't tell you the percentage. I think it's a big, big percentage. I'm going to argue that a large percentage of the Christian church is not a word oriented or word focused church. I'm going to argue that. As we're looking at this church grow, look at your passage. As the word of God spreads, as the word of God grows, so grows the church. As I mentioned earlier, all growth is not good growth. One real Christian is a better is better than a thousand fake Christians. I could get this I could pack this room next week. We, we would need standing room only, free beer and MMA here with the preaching. I, there wouldn't be an empty chair. And you think, well, who would do that? There are rodeo churches, there are biker churches, kung fu churches, all of that. That's a shtick. And you can grow churches that way. We're looking at the way that God grows it such that it pleases him. So all growth is not good growth. When you walk in and say, boy, howdy, we got five people. They get 5,000 people. Is it the word? No, there's a light show and the girls are in spandex pants. And, but it's, and they got 5,000. Yes, because the girls are in spandex pants. That's why they have 5,000. And you think I'm kidding you. I've been in these churches. Right? Am I telling you the truth? I, I promise I am. I promise I am. So all growth is not good growth. The good growth is the word goes out. There are tons of churches are not word focused. And what are they? They're going to let you, they're going to, people will tell you what they are. The church of my youth, when you opened up the front door to St. Bartholomew's and you look straight down the pipe, what were you looking at? What were you looking at? You You weren't looking at a pulpit. What goes on in a pulpit? Preaching of the Bible goes on in the pulpit. When you were looking down at my church, what were you looking at? An altar. It's radically different. It's the re-sacrifice of Jesus. It's not the ministry of the word. Listen to the church. When you go to a church, you're going to figure out, are they about Bible? Are they about the blood of Jesus? What are they about? Are they about holiness? What are they about? They're going to let you know what they're about. They could be a church-oriented church. Again, the church in my youth. The, the, the current pope would have, the, even on this um, road, on Olive, there was, a, there was a campaign maybe a year ago, come home to Mother Church. Come home to Mother Church. When you go into a church and you hear, 
the church, the church, the church, the church, the church, the church, I think you should run out of there. When you hear tradition, 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 what is it, Latavia, whatever the guy's name is, tradition, you should run. Run, 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 run. Is it priest-focused? Is it world-focused? Your best life now. There are churches that are call themselves the best life now. Beloved, honestly, is this your best life now? This is stinks if this is our best life now, just to tell you the truth. I hope this is not our best life now because it's lousy. But is it the word? And so the way that God is advancing his kingdom is through the ministry of the word. The Bible says they were considered more noble. What were they doing? They were studying the Bible. And they were testing every spirit against the Bible. What's the gospel according to the Bible? What's the code of holiness according to the Bible? Now, if you're going to be a Bible-oriented church, what will you incur from the world and from other Christians? Get ready. I'm going to tell you what you know is already going to happen. If you're a Bible Christian, I only believe in the Jesus of the Bible. I only believe what the Bible says. If you're that, you're going to be narrow-minded. You're going to be bigoted, unenlightened. You're half a chimpanzee, unenlightened. Um, And you know what? You really, really sin, heaven, hell, blood atonement. Really? Really? Yeah, yeah, really. Um, And you know who's going to call you? Unenlightened, simple, unloving, narrow. Your mom and dad and your sister and brother and the people in your family that are fake Christians. They go to a non-Bible church. They believe in a Jesus of their own imagination. And they're going to abuse the stuffing out of you. Right? Yeah, yeah, I'm telling you the truth. You know I'm telling you the truth. But the way that God advances the church is through the ministry of the word. And he uses two things in the ministry of the word. I'm just unpacking verse 7. What does he use in the word of God? We can delineate the, the Bible variously, but I'm going to cut it in half. Law gospel. Law gospel. I am a simple, simple man, Jenny. Jenny. Law gospel. The wages of sin is death. See, one of the things... When folks are wanting people to come to Christ or wanting the church to grow corporately, they forget the law part. They just come along and say, God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. Believe in Jesus. What are they not telling you? The bad news. The bad news. (laughs) The bad news is the broken law. So the way that God is advancing his church is he sends people out and they tell people with the law, that's a sin. That's a sin. Even when you think that that's a sin, what's the penalty for that? Death, because God is holy. Well, that doesn't seem like very good news. Yes, but you're never going to embrace the good news if you, believe the, if you don't believe the bad news. So God, the Holy Spirit, uses people who believe the truth of the law of God, and we go out and tell other people, and that acts as a schoolmaster. And the school, schoolmaster does what for you? It drives you to Christ. When you share just pal Jesus, buddy Jesus, you leave people in their sins. This is the sad thing. There are so many people that think they're Christians and they're not. They're not. You ask them, are they good people? Oh yeah, I'm a great person. Everybody good? Yeah, people are basically good. Are you a wicked sinner that deserves hell? No, who believes that nonsense? What is Jesus to you? What is Jesus to you? What is the blood? What is my God, my God? Why is thou forsaken? What is that? You see what I mean? 
So I'm not for be- beating mean or, 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 or pugnacious to anyone. If you don't believe that law, that bad news, you don't believe the gospel. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins. He's the wrath bearer. And God sends out people that actually believe this. And he sends them out to tell people law, gospel. And then he builds, he, he builds his church. He builds the church, as I say, quantitatively in numbers and he builds the church qualitatively in Christ's likeness. He does it regarding our justification. He does it regarding our, our sanctification. And I want to say this because I don't want to go too far afield. Regarding how God spreads his word, I've said it a number of times, this is not mysticism. This is boots on the ground Christianity. He uses people. <laughs> he uses people that believe the word of God. They believe the law. They believe the gospel. They, they believe in Jesus. And they're being enabled by the Holy Spirit with the word. And he uses us to go and tell other people about Jesus, about their sin. And that's how he grows. So this isn't like, wow, that's really interesting theory. Oh, no, 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 no. This isn't theory. What's the first thing that Andrew did when he came to find Jesus Christ saving? What's the first thing he did? He's a fisherman. He went running and looking for who? His brother. Andrew was a Jew. He goes running to his Simon Peter, his brother, who's a Jew. And he tells him what? We found the Messiah of the Jews. That's how it works. Biblical Christianity, the growth of the church, the growth of the gospel. This is evangelical. Again, I don't mean obnoxious. I really don't. My wife doesn't like it when I honk the horns at the Ruckmanites and give them the thumbs up so when she's not around I do it anyways I like when people are out there telling people about Jesus I think they're maybe wrong in a couple of things whatever I, this is how it works this is how it works now you may say I don't want to stand out in 125 degree heat holding a Bible the Bible says that you may not want to be that guy but what about this let's say you're a mom let's say you're a mom you're a mom and you have a little kiddo and you love Jesus. What are you telling your little kiddo? Jesus. <laughs> love Jesus. This was Timothy. Timothy's mom and Timothy's grandmother loved Jesus. That's who taught Timothy about Jesus. That's how it works. The Christian faith is evangelical. And, and be wise in that. If someone's crying in their soup or something traumatic is happening, just don't be goofy. Don't, don't like, be wise. Pray for God to use you. But so before we look at the work of one particular minister, we have a bunch of people that are going out that love Jesus and they love the word of God and they're telling everybody. And look at the kind of folk they're telling. We're told right away a bunch of believers come to believe from Jerusalem, meaning Jews. Do you know, what is it? John 1, 10 through 13. He came to his own and his own knew him what? Not. Who were his own? Jews. So boatloads of Jews did not believe that Jesus was the Christ. But some did. Do you you see that? I used to sell life insurance. I couldn't sell life insurance. I I drove a truck to to pay for my selling life insurance. (laughs) I I couldn't sell anything. I'm the worst salesman. But in selling life, it was all straight commission. They tell you the law of high, like, large numbers. 
You want to buy a policy? No. You want to buy a policy? You talk to enough people, someone's going to say, for the love of Pete, I'll buy a policy. Not utterly unlike that. Jesus is the Lord and the Savior, the sin bearer. Believe in him. No. Repent of your sins and believe in him. No. Repent of your sins and believe in him. Yes. You see? Not everyone. Jesus was a Jew after the flesh. All the apostles are Jews. Almost all the early initial phase of the apostolic church, they're all Jews. Gobs of Jews don't believe. But a lot do. And through the ministry of these guys, more Jews believe in Jesus. Beloved, don't don't look at, I've stumbled and bumbled, therefore I'm not growing. That's that's not true. And you say, well, I, I, I don't, the better part of the world is unbelieving. That's true too. You know how many believers, real believers, are going to be in heaven? Lots. Through God using folks like this. And not only does God convert these Jews in keeping with what salvation is of the Jews, look at the class that he saves people with this gospel. They're priests. This is the priestly class. The high priest is the leader of the Sanhedrin. Later when we get into the council, this is the guy that puts Jesus, the high priest is the guy who said Jesus should be crucified. What are we learning, beloved, here? He saves some from the Jews. He saves some from the class of the most vile Christ hater on the planet. I'm going to read something to you. This is from the book of Malachi. Behold, Malachi 3, I'm going to send my messenger. He'll clear the the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to the temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? He is like a refining fire and a fuller soap. He will sit as a smelter. Ready? The priests are the Sadducees. They're the leaders of the temple. They come from the Levites. He, Jesus, will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. God from Malachi. What's Malachi? 400, 500? He's making good on the promise. And I'm going to close with this application. He saves from the Jews with a simple gospel going forth from simple people. But then he saves from people you would think never in a million years. These are Christ haters. These are Christ haters, Christ murderers. Never. These are the worst of the worst. And what does God do? Jesus sends his servants to go talk to them. Wait a minute. They just killed you. (laughs) And they killed all my fellow servants. Yeah, go talk to them one more time. They hate the gospel. Yep, go talk to them one more time. They're going to kill me. Maybe. We despair all the time. I despair. When sin comes close to us personally, it, it hurts more. When it's you or someone, it doesn't hurt me as much. We look at another person and think, no way. This guy is such, he's so wicked. They're so depraved. They're so hateful. They're so wicked. There's no way God's going to save him. No way. Beloved, this passage teaches us no one, you ready? No one is beyond the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. No one. Jesus saves adulterers, fornicators, people that crucified him. People that crucified Jesus, Jesus is going to save. You think, well, 
I'm supposed to go to an enemy of Jesus and tell them if they repent of their sins and they believe in Jesus, that Jesus will save them. And they'll, he'll make them, he'll change them from criminals to children. Yeah. But is that a dangerous business? Yeah. Yeah. It's a dangerous business. Some people will hate you like they hated Christ. Some people may even kill you like they killed Christ. And they'll die in their sins. But beloved, you know what? Some people are going to believe. Like you. Because your mom, your grandmother, your preacher, some evangelist told you. As a sinner. As a Christ hater. As a holiness hater. If you believe in Jesus, he'll wash all your sins away. And he'll receive you. Beloved, that's how God grows the church. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word. I love this.